Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 22, the Season 2 finale, Casino Night. In this episode, the office hosts a casino night. We check in with various relationships, and Jim and Pam have a turning point. Yes, this is a very good episode. In this episode's cold open... We don't get a whole lot. Michael introduces the fact that the office is having a casino night. He lays out some of the details for it. It's going to be all for charity. He calls himself a great philanderer, which is definitely not what he was going for there. Yeah. And after this interview with the camera, Dwight walks in wearing a tux and Jim immediately makes fun of him for it rightfully so it is kind of ridiculous looking yes and he's wearing a tux because he's probably not going home before casino night i guess one thing that really struck me about it was that it didn't look like it went together he has a tux jacket like with tails Mm -hmm. bow tie everything and then he has like pinstripe pants the jacket is not pinstriped, though. Yes. It's a family heirloom, though, Curtis. His grandfather was buried in it. Right. <laughs> As Dwight sits down, Pam is trying to convince Roy to attend casino night. I'm not sure why he needs convincing, but he does. So that leads her to say that she's a roulette expert. Dwight chimes in, because it's an open office plan, that no one can be a roulette expert because it's just a game of skill. Jim takes this opportunity to do an impromptu prank on Dwight, saying that he is an expert because he has mind control. So he can be an expert in things like roulette. And Dwight's like, fine, prove it. Move that coat rack. So Jim kind of does the thing that... Just focuses very intently on the coat rack says that you're gonna you know attempt to focus in on that thing and everyone looks over because Dwight makes an office announcement to watch Jim practice his mind control and suddenly the coat rack is moving flash to Pam interviewing with the cameras and all she does is just hold up an umbrella so she's moved the coat rack with the hook of the umbrella right and Dwight is just absolutely floored Although I would like to point out that one of the great quotes of this season happens during this cold open. So as Jim's sort of explaining the mind control thing, Dwight says, I don't believe you. Continue. Later in the episode, Dwight is shown practicing mind control, trying to do this because he is truly believing that Jim actually has this skill. Yes, he is trying to move his bobblehead, the bobblehead of him. As we get into the body of the episode, Michael is very excited for casino night. And he addresses the whole office saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. 
Here's the charities we're playing for. If you have the largest number of chips at the end of the night, you get 500 extra dollars to give to a charity of your choice. But the whole night is gonna be benefiting the Boy Scouts of America. And Oscar immediately chimes in and says, again, like, let's help people that really need it. Do the Boy Scouts really need our money? Yeah. Michael's not swayed by that because he says they don't have cookies like the Girl Scouts. But a lot of other people do join in in the grumbling about it being the Boy Scouts. Michael decides that if he wins, his charity will be Comic Relief, which he's informed that that does not exist anymore. I believe it was a charity in the 80s for... I don't know what it was even for. It's just gleaning from context clues it was probably like a group of comedians putting on shows to benefit the homeless it seemed like because somebody says something about the homeless in this episode Mm -hmm. michael kind of tries to assuage the grumblings of the people who think that maybe there is a better charity than the boy scouts of america by saying that a new caveat to this year is that the biggest winner of the night will be given $500 to donate to a charity of their choice. Following this announcement, we get a couple interstitials with a couple characters that are basically saying who they would like to give their money to. Creed says that there is a soup kitchen in downtown Scranton that he will probably give his money to and it seems as though he frequents this soup kitchen. Yes, he likes the soup they have on Thursdays. Kevin says he will probably give it to something to do with animals, but also maybe people. (laughs) Which is a lot of different charities. Yes. Kelly has an interstitial where she says that Kobe Bryant has a foundation that she would like to give the money to, mostly because he's so hot. And things get a little weird at this point. Not necessarily, well, because of what is said in the episode, but also because of the timing into which we are watching this episode. Yes, we are recording this episode in early February 2020, meaning that Sadly, Kobe Bryant passed away a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And that is leaving everyone to sort of reckon with his life and his legacy, including the 2003 rape incident in Colorado. On The Office, on this episode of The Office, Kelly references said incident and the fact that he bought his wife a huge diamond ring. Kelly says, I know he didn't do it. Or maybe he did. Which probably aptly describes a lot of the reckoning that's happening now. Yes and no. Honestly, I think that many people are very much focusing on his impact on the game of basketball. Sure. He was, for a time, if not the face of the NBA, then very much a 
prominent figure in the NBA. Sure. For better or worse, depending on who you ask, I know a lot of people who Kobe Bryant is their favorite basketball player of all time. Mm -hmm. He is, in their mind, the greatest basketball player of all time. I personally didn't really like Kobe as a basketball player. I thought he was constantly focused on how about his legacy. Mm -hmm. He was consumed with him being viewed as one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I think that that drive can push people in different ways. And I think the way he went about it was negative. He he had to be the guy on his team. He That's why he essentially caused Shaq to go to Miami. Yeah, I, I don't know a ton about his basketball legacy, uh, but I know kind of those bits about it. Yes. And I would say that his tragic passing has led some people to deify him. Absolutely. And that happens a lot with, so another example that's just coming to my head is JFK. So unfortunately, because of the tragic circumstances of his death, we only see JFK through rose-colored glasses. And I think it's important to, for people to understand that his death is horribly tragic and terrible and the circumstances are just awful. Absolutely. But that doesn't negate the fact that people are messy lives are not just good or bad that people have a lot of different aspects of their life do i expect that this case and how terrible his lawyers treated that woman to be brought up at his private funeral or any sort of public memorial service associated with the lakers no i don't but i do expect for sports reporters for journalists in general to talk about this because Kobe Bryant, I believe, and I said this when he won the Oscar for his short film, is lucky that in the era of Me Too that people forgot about his case. Absolutely. I think, and this for me is the toughest part about this because not only are people really recognizing him for what he did for the game of basketball, a lot of people are really focusing on the second act of his life that had just started. He, I mean, there are, I mean, Twitter was, and the internet in general, was full of things that kind of gave a a look into his post-basketball life. I read somewhere that, after he retired, he didn't really watch the NBA at all. Mm-hmm. And it took his daughter being more interested in basketball to where he sat with her every single night and watched basketball games and just talked to her about the ins and outs of the game, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he had a he had some kind of like online segment or something like weekly daily something with ESPN to where he was breaking down basketball games and certain points of NBA games and saying, here's what's going on here. Mm -hmm. 
And I have seen many people, uh, prominent female basketball players, say he was a champion for yes. the WNBA. He really strove to have the WNBA seen as a legitimate basketball league and to yeah. really push female basketball into the forefront of the larger scope of the game. Yeah, I think, and this, and we can sort of wrap this up, this discussion, I think that you are not the worst thing that you've ever done in your life. I think it's too bad that he never got the chance to sort of reckon with that. And I think if you were a Lakers fan who in 2003 participated in the horrendous harassment of that woman, you should take a look at that for yourself. I don't believe personally in the cancel culture sort of thing. I believe people should have space to be people and learn and grow and get better. Like if you've seen The Good Place, just that thought of improving your life and getting better. Um, I don't think, I don't know him, but I just know there wasn't a public sort of thought on that. And it's not fair to say he is only that incident, but it's also not fair to say he is only basketball. Yes and no. And this is where it gets complicated. It does. Because... Especially if you're a public figure. Because it could be said that, let's say that trial plays out and he's found guilty. The second half of his life, the rebirth of him post that because he did a whole lot of work to distance himself from that. He changed his number immediately after that. I didn't realize that. That was part of it. Like he went from number eight to number 24 immediately after that in a way it was in a way to be just like nah that that wasn't me that was that was number eight Kobe so it is easy to say that if he goes to trial and right. he is found guilty none of this stuff after that happens it's- at all he doesn't even have the chance to do this and probably rightfully so right it's very tough when the thing that is the crossroads is if you're going to have criminal charges brought against you or not. Like, that is difficult to sort of uh, wrap your head around the fact that the tr- it was dropped. It was settled in a civil suit for an undisclosed sum. He bought the ring. He started the foundation. And then we all said, done. Right. And, like, to kind of tie this into a somewhat lighter topic that is recent... And this is something that Antoinette and I have talked about off pod is the thing with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle separating themselves from the royal family. Sure. They are doing this because they want to be financially independent. Well, that is very easy to do when you are going to have so many opportunities afforded to you based off of who, family. quote, who <laughs> you were. Yeah. Like, there is no separating themselves from who they are. Meghan Markle is going to have the opportunity to sit on charity boards and things like that and make six, seven-figure salaries that there's no way she would have been able to do that if she was just on suits. Yeah. 
Very true. And so that's just, it goes back to life is messy and complicated. Uh, having this soundbite on The Office is, uh, it was always unfortunate, I think, and probably always inappropriate. Very much so. Even more inappropriate in light of distance and time and how we view sexual assault allegations, the fact that Kobe Bryant just tragically passed away. I, I don't think if the show was being remade or if the show was being shot in this day and age, probably that joke is not going to be in there. And it was really, it was unnecessary even in that time. Like yeah. there are probably numerous celebrities that Kelly could have been like, so-and-so has a charity yeah. and they are so hot. That's why hot. I'm going to give it yeah. to them. Yeah. So moving on. Yeah. There is one more interaction with the camera, and that is Angela. She says that this money that we're giving to charity is coming from gambling, so we may as well drug deal drugs or murder somebody for that movie. Ourselves. Right. So just being a huge bummer about Yeah, the everyone's situation. favorite, you know, uptight stick in the mud has to sort of comment. But I also point out for someone that's just so uh, uh finds gambling just so abhorrent she still attended the event true <laughs> and participated and participated yeah and this this section of interstitials kind of becomes a theme throughout the rest of this episode we are getting camera time from a lot of minor characters in this episode that yeah. we haven't really seen much of in the rest of this season. Yeah, everyone gets a little bit of time. Everyone gets uh, definitely on screen, if not actual lines. There is a scene not too long after these interviews where Daryl is seen in Michael's office. And Michael is planning on having fire eaters at the casino night because he wants to make it as much like Vegas as possible. Yeah. He and says, Michael loves a spectacle. Right. He says fire eaters are everywhere in Vegas, which, no. And I've never been to Vegas. They're, they're not. Obviously, they're not. Like, is right. it just every it's every corner? Yeah, every corner does not have a fire eater. Like, sure, like in the shows, probably, but otherwise, yeah. no. And Daryl logically is putting up a case against fire eaters in a paper warehouse and towards the end of this interaction michael says some nonsense phrase i can't even remember the exact wording of it dink and flicka right and it cuts to daryl in a one-on-one -on -one where he says oh yeah i i taught some michael some phrases to kind of blend in with the urban crowd mm -hmm. and it is just a line of ridiculous things fleece it out going mock five and a grade school type handshake right but michael eats this up and this is a really fun interaction with craig robinson because he's he's playing it really well a lot of times he 
he can laugh here because he's laughing at what he's taught Michael. Yeah. So a lot of times if you're breaking, like you're ruining the scene, but it's okay in that instance because he's sort of laughing at Michael's expense. Right. And so it is an interaction like this that is really going to become the the character that Daryl is. And we will see more of Daryl mm-hmm. as the show progresses. Yeah. And this, it is kind of this moment in this episode that seems to be like the seed that was planted in the writer's room. Like, oh, this is something we can do for this character in a much broader sense and kind of do this more often and have this guy be more than just show up every every three episodes or something like sure. that. Sure. Kevin also gets a lot of screen time in this episode. Yeah. He, he's a big poker player. He's a big poker player. And he also is in a wedding band that will play a big part in this episode that we will discuss a little bit later on. Creed gets a lot of uh, screen time. Because he's a klepto, for one. Right. So he's describing that. But we also see that he wants to be the winner at the end of the night, but he's going to be the winner because he distracts the person sitting next to him and steals their chips. How the dealer doesn't do anything about that, I'm not sure. Um, He does win the grand prize, which is $500 to the charity of his choice, and a mini fridge from Vance Refrigeration. When his name is announced, you see him shake out the extra chips in his sleeve that he had been hoarding, and he tells Bob Vance that it's his first refrigerator that he's ever owned. Weirdly, we don't get a ton of Meredith time, which a work event with alcohol seems like the perfect event for Meredith, but we just don't see a lot with her. We see her imitating the the de- the dealer. I don't I guess I don't know the correct term for this but the person that is working the craps table right oscar beyond his objections to the boy scouts of america not a ton from oscar stanley has one line thrown in there yeah stanley just asks if you know lady luck is his boss tonight are they gonna get a raise which is very on brand for stanley yeah phyllis gets some nice Uh, screen time with Bob you can tell she's just really enjoying herself and she actually takes down Kevin with a royal flush I believe just a flush just a flush in poker really kind of shaking Kevin to his core there but she has this like cute line of just saying that oh you know it's just for fun she just enjoys playing and then she wins that hand that she didn't even know she was winning yeah had no idea she's like oh there's an ace in there and i don't know how to play poker so very much on brand but otherwise at the casino night we're just it's just fun we're just getting these shots of people having a good time interacting together and sort of letting loose the outfits are also quite interesting and it's very on brand for a small city big town sort of thing people got pretty dressed up hence dwight's tux but dressed up in a weird way that doesn't make sense to a casino like pam is wearing this lavender embroidered i don't even know taffeta maybe yeah there's just a very wide range of what people are dressing up in like 
like most of the guys are dressed in what is probably just a step above business casual, yeah. I would say. Like just button downs and sweaters. Right, yeah. No and, ties. But so but as you said, Pam is in a dress. I think Phyllis, Phyllis is in a dress, dress as well. And she has flowers in her hair. Right. And Angela, I think, is wearing a black dress. But Jan we haven't said this yet, but Jan is there and she shows up and she is in like jeans with a tuck, like essentially what she would wear, like her power suit look with the, the she's just button wearing, down shirt tucked into some jeans. She's wearing a button up blouse and a, and a leather jacket. Yeah. But she's also from New York. And so she knows what, that's probably the level of dressing from New York. I, I guess. I don't know. Speaking of Jan, this episode kind of gives us a check-in with the various relationships that are going on in the office. At the very beginning of the episode, Michael invites Jan to come down to casino night and just to basically make an appearance, says the, you know, the workers, it'd be great if they saw their fearless leader. Michael obviously also has ulterior motives to this. He will see it as a date. Right. And just wants Jan to be there to see her in a dating sense. Yeah, and there's also a check-in with downsizing. Just kind of thrown in here because Michael is on the phone with Jan, and Jan is telling Michael that the Scranton branch performance needs to improve. Right now, Scranton is fourth out of the five branches that she oversees. So that's the impetus for having Jan on the phone and what allows Michael to ask her to come to casino night. Jan it says, no, not into it. That's a long drive. And Michael is trying to convince her by saying he can hear in her voice that she needs a break when she hangs up on him. Carol Stills, Michael's realtor that sold him the condo, calls to the office because she needs one more signature from Michael. And Michael sort of just throws caution to the wind, it seems like, doesn't have this. He didn't remember who Carol was. Yeah. And Pam has to explain, it's your realtor. And while he's got her on the phone, he says, well, why don't you just come on down, come over to my office. We're having a casino night. I'll sign the paperwork and we can just have a drink. In the middle of this call, Jan calls back. Michael puts Carol on hold answers the call with Jan in which Jan tells him you're right I do need a break I'm coming to casino casino night and so Michael has convinced Jan to come and maybe given her enough of a vibe of he cares about her he can hear her well-being needs tended to that's a good point and she decides to come I think that this wasn't set up well enough by the writers in previous episodes because I don't think that what wasn't set up well enough the the, the relationship between Michael and Carol but I think they threw her in there enough to yeah, where it was just she kind was of at a, Michael's birthday right like weird little just oh here she is again but like there was no there was no 
where where Michael was outright saying, "Oh, you know, she seems pretty nice." Yeah. And so the 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 offer for Carol to come to casino night comes off as Michael just being a nice guy. I'm like, "Hey, we're we're doing this thing tonight. Do you want to come yeah, by and just, just come. you know check it out and have a drink?" Like it's a, just a friendly offer. Whereas we know what Michael is doing when he is trying to get Jan to come. Yeah, the it really gets elevated with Carol when Jan says yes and then he gets back on the phone with Carol and she says yes I'd love to come and that's when it feels elevated to Michael where he's like oh I've got two people coming how is Jan gonna view this as casino night starts Michael has employed Dwight to be his wingman which is not going well Dwight tells Michael that Carol is there when Carol's standing right in front of Michael right when Jan arrives, Michael makes it super awkward because he's standing with Carol. They're talking. They've been playing cards. And Michael can't stand the one second of tension that he's self-created and says, well, we're all, we're all adults here. And you said you weren't going to come. And I thought we had an open relationship, of which they don't have a relationship at all. Right. And so that's why I invited Carol. And Jan plays this really well. She's like, okay, well, I'm your boss, and I'm here, so I'm Jan. Nice to meet you. There are a couple of awkward interactions between Carol and Jan following this because we get this impression that Jan has come to Scranton with the thought of, huh, maybe there's something with Michael. For sure. Because we never got any closure or follow-up from the Valentine's Day episode where they kissed on the elevator. Good point. So that's how they've left their relationship. And later at the craps table, Jan is standing there on one side of Michael and Carol is standing on the other side of Michael, which is an awkward interaction in itself. But Dwight turns to Jan and is just like, so... Are, where are you staying tonight? And just lifts off a bunch of Hotel. hotels and then asks, where are you going to stay with Michael? And we see later that Jan is leaving casino night and she gets into her car and she has an overnight bag in her front seat. So it becomes clear there that, yeah, she probably was planning on staying with Michael that night. Yeah, she thought this was maybe going to be a thing she had given it some thought and that didn't quite pan out but michael is very excited for himself things went well with carol he thinks that things are fine with him and jan and carol seems like a very appropriate match for him as from the interaction we've seen from that night yeah i would think so another couple that gets a a, a little bit of a check-in is ryan and kelly during Michael's welcoming speech, he mentioned something alluding to new lovers. And you see Kelly turn to Ryan with just this biggest smile. And Ryan looks the other way. Like, he's like, nope, let's not get in that category. There is also a time where Jim is at the bar and Ryan comes up to order a drink. And he just, he asks for a beer, I think. And then a seven and seven with seven maraschino cherries sugar on the rim and then blended it if you can and jim's like so that's still going on huh and which is great 
and that's this is also kind of harkens back to what we were talking about earlier with just the really kind of small interactions that happen in this episode that maybe we haven't seen in previous episodes mm-hmm. and there is clearly like a friendly vibe between Jim and Ryan here earlier in the show they are seen just sitting at a table together and having drinks mm-hmm. like just just cha- yeah out. like hanging out as the two youngest guys in the office mm-hmm. probably would mm-hmm. and yeah, then there's a natural gravitation yeah and then there's this where we've kind of already seen some iciness between Jim and Ryan I think that Jim knows that Ryan's a douche he probably gets that vibe and Ryan willingly puts it out and we've also seen time after time in several episodes Ryan doesn't want to be here yeah so there's part there's part of those vibes and Ryan also think back to uh, the episode where Jim was talking about taking a trip Ryan has Jim pegged as kind of a dopey sort of guy yeah you know he can see that Jim isn't living up to his potential Dwight and Angela also have a couple of sweet interactions. Angela is so disapproving about being there. She doesn't partake in any of the card games, but she stands next to Dwight. And there is an instance at the craps table where Dwight rolls the correct number so that everyone wins. He turns and kisses Angela. Angela immediately seems horrified and slaps him, but they and then walks away. But they both have smirks on their face, so they have such a weird... And even just weird relationship. Even that that little interaction before he rolls, where Angela comes up and is just like, you know, I hope you're having fun or whatever she says. Whatever she says when she yeah yeah and asks what he's doing, and Dwight's like, I have to roll an eight so everyone can win, and he's just like, Well, do that. Yeah, roll an eight. Yeah, like in a very bossy way, like just what their relationship is which is based off of discipline. Yeah, this really weird authoritarian, I don't know, just weird, weird, weird. Phyllis and Bob Vance are still a couple, very much so, don't really leave each other's side, seem pretty ingratiated in each other's lives, I would say. Yeah, Phyllis is standing by his side when he is making the presentation for the person with the largest winnings and giving away the refrigerator. And mm-hmm. so, yes, definitely a budding relationship there. Pam managed to convince Roy to come to casino night. And they're playing cards together. There are times where Roy's interacting with Daryl, but it seems like they're doing normal couple things. Earlier in the episode, Pam did mention that Roy, who was supposed to be picking the band, for their wedding is now more interested in the bachelor party so picking the music has now fallen to pam but at casino night roy decides to unilaterally on his own hire kevin's band's grantonicity yep roy also leaves the evening early saying he's just pretty tired uh you can see him leaving his truck and pam's just having a good time she is probably been drinking a little bit but she's just really living it up at casino night jim happens to be outside at that same point because he was talking to jan about one 
the fact that she came for the evening, and then two, his transfer to a different branch. In his conversation with Jan, she encouraged Jim to tell people about his transfer. It sounds like it's going to be coming up pretty soon, and he hasn't told anyone yet. That prompts some wistful thinking and some soul-searching from Jim a little bit. And when he sees Pam, this all sort of comes to a head. So that brings us to the interactions between Jim and Pam throughout this episode. They seem to have gotten past the awkwardness that is Pam planning her wedding while at work. Yeah. Because we see Pam going with a box of videos. Very, this is hilarious to me. So this is 2006. DVDs are out, but it's probably very difficult to record a DVD. Yeah, you would have to... Have all the right equipment. Well, you would you would have to have a webcam. Not a webcam, a digital camera yeah. that you could save that file onto your computer and then burn it onto a dvd so she has a bunch of vhs tapes of wedding bands jim's like what is this weird box of tapes (laughs) she tells him well you know roy didn't do this thing so i've got to go through them and he's excited so that makes me think there are a solid 12 tapes in this box a lot yeah are there really that many aspiring wedding bands in the northeastern Pennsylvania area that it can't just be Scranton it's got to be this broader area or like random people Roy knows or something right that not only are that are bands but have these tapes on hand why they have tapes I don't know but are just like oh yeah we're a band here watch this tape and that'll give you a sense of what you're gonna get for sure. Or that just made tape, you know, like, hey, guys, you know it would be a great idea if we made a music video, <laughs> and here it is. Because that's what it amounts to. Yeah. So Jim and Pam are watching this together. They just pop in the next one. Hey, this is Grantonicity. They're watching it, and that's when they realize Kevin is a part of this band. He is the lead singer who also plays the drums. This didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because – in the last episode, Kevin came up to Pam and was just like, hey, I heard you're looking for a band. I'm in a band. You should hire us. So she already knows, like, this shouldn't become as a shock that, oh, look, it's Kevin and he's in a band. What? It's like, no, she, you, yeah. you knew this already. She probably didn't put it together. And it's a police cover band, by the way, yes. too. And Jim gets all excited and he's like, we got to hire him. Let's go. So they're having this very flirtatious interaction kind of fun time and it's probably pretty easy to forget that this is for Pam's wedding to another guy even at casino night they're having sort of flirtatious interactions especially over poker you know Pam's sort of making batting her eyes at her cards and they're laughing together so it's just it's very light and Pam even says early in the episode She's really happy. She's getting along with everyone at work now, meaning Jim, and she's getting married soon. So for her, everything is perfect. Everything is where it's supposed to be. Nothing is amiss. And she even says that she is so happy to have Jim there because 
the stress of planning her wedding just goes away anytime that she is around him. Which is just an, another example of how Pam uses Jim. For sure. And how she won't commit to doing some soul searching about her relationship with Roy and her relationship with Jim. And for Jim, the conversation with Jan brings that all to a head. He is ready to leave Scranton. He's at this crossroads, as we've talked about a couple times over the season. He's got to make a decision. He has a moment with the camera where they just kind of flash back to him taking that interview. Yeah. And he just says that he made this decision because... He just doesn't see himself with a future here in Scranton. Yeah. And I think that is very telling of his mindset because he is equating his future in Scranton with his future with Pam. He has completely separated his future at the Dunder Mifflin branch in Scranton from his actual work performance. Okay. So he, he very well could be... I mean, he's not motivated to do so, but he very well could be the branch manager when Michael retires or gets fired or whatever the case may be. They could, you know, see the potential in him and create a position for him within that branch, which, spoiler alert, they do later on in later seasons. So he very much is saying that his future in Scranton is 100% tied to Pam. Right. And because he feels sort of at the end of his rope, he's willing to do something desperate to see if this is accurate. Is his view of this situation accurate? So his he does it. He does something desperate. He walks up to Pam. Pam's still in her very jokey, everything is perfect bubble. She She's joking with Jim that She's ready to take more of his money in cards. And let's go back inside. Let's do it. And Jim is very somber, very straightforward, says, I need to talk to you about something. This is the moment that this entire season has been leading up to. And Jim just comes out with it, comes out with his feelings, says, I'm in love with you first thing he says like it's not even a thing which i thought was kind of weird like he's been holding it in so long sure sure but like what sparked this is jan being like you should tell somebody that you're that you're leaving so he didn't like i feel like it should have been a or it would be in a normal situation where like hey i'm leaving i am transferring to stanford and I have to tell you this because this is essentially the reason why I'm doing it. I'm in love with you. Yeah, he doesn't get quite, he doesn't make those connections for Pam. I wonder if it's because he he is leaving that part out in order to maybe give himself the out to where if Pam's like, oh, I love you too. I'm done with Roy now. He can be like, great, I'll be here. I think it's more that he wants Pam to come to it on her own volition without there being a sort of looming threat of him leaving. 
And Pam has a pretty fair question in response to him. What do you expect me to say to that? There is also another response that she has that is very telling. Very telling. And it's not, I'm not in love with you or, and she does get to this part eventually, but I think you are a great friend. You know, you misinterpreted things. She does say this, but her initial response is, I can't. Not that I'm not or that I won't. I can't. Which is a very common response for people that are close to their wedding dates. People that are having cold feet oftentimes go through with it and then get divorced soon after the wedding because they feel all the pressure of the deposits. The invitations are gone out. People are coming to this. My parents have this expectation. They feel that they're in too deep to do anything about it so close to that date. So then they follow through. And this is what I'm hearing a lot from Pam. One, in regards to that, but two, she doesn't know a life without Roy. Yeah, true. So as imperfect and probably terrible a lot of times the relationship is for her, the unknown is even more scary. Absolutely. And so Jim says, when she says, I'm sorry if you misinterpret this, your friendship means so much to me. He's like, no, don't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to be more than that. And the dagger to my heart every time I watch this is that perfect one tear that John Krasinski has just down his face. And he says, okay. And he wipes it away, takes his hand back, walks away. Sorry I misinterpreted things. Yes. It is a dagger because he's holding in those feelings. He put himself out there. And it didn't work out. But that is not the end. Not the end of the saga. Because right after this, Pam goes upstairs to the office we see her on the phone and it becomes clear she's on the phone with her mother at jim's desk at jim's desk yes which is very weird to me yeah i guess it's no there is an opening as like straight from the door in i thought yeah. that maybe like she would have to walk around the her desk to yeah. get in and so in doing so would pass Jim's phone where that's the closest one no she's at Jim's desk good point and she's on the phone with her mom she is recapping what just happened yes which means that her mom has been told about Jim and illusions have probably been made before about Pam's feelings for Jim to her mom well we've seen this before because right. when Pam's mom comes to visit yeah. she explicitly asks which one's Jim and Pam is very embarrassed about this correct so we are only getting the one side of the conversation obviously but we can tell where the conversation is going based off of pam's responses correct. and there is one line in there that tells the whole story and it is yeah i think i am so pam's mom very obviously asks are you in love with him Yes, some some form of that question yeah. we can deduce has been asked. And it is right after this that 
Jim enters the office. Yes. So Pam gets off the phone, says she'll call her mom back later. She's got to go. Jim walks up to Pam. And he kisses her. And she hesitates a moment. But she kisses him back. And and we know she kisses him back because she wraps her arms around yep. him. Puts her hand up on the back of his head. Yes, a very, very, she's very much into it. Yes. They pull apart. Jim takes Pam's hands. Episode ends. Very suspenseful. Cut the credits, yes. Very suspenseful. I had forgotten that the episode ends here. Because we will get more fill-in at the season three premiere. Yes. Reactions. Pretend you're watching this for the first time. You, you, you can't help but have the reaction that the writers are going for in It's About Time. Yeah. And it, it is not often that you're going to get cliffhangers with sitcoms. For sure. Yeah. And this is a good one. It is very much a, it is the, there is a will they, won't they storyline throughout this entire season. And it comes to a head here. But there is still another aspect of it that is left untouched. So it does keep you there. And you're like, okay, so what's happening after this? Yeah. And we know that Pam's wedding is quite close. We know that Jim is going to be transferring quite soon. And that he's supposedly taking a trip to Australia in here, too. So all these things... Will Pam admit her true feelings to herself? Will Pam give up on a pretty dead-end relationship? Will she take a chance with Jim? All there. And it, as an adult, it's tough to watch because Jim had a lot of opportunities, I think, before this time, right so close to her wedding and all this, but he wasn't yet ready because of the transfer. Yeah. So let me ask you this before we get to our end of the episode things. Have you ever had to put yourself out there for a relationship a la Jim? No. And I feel like I've had the same reservations as Jim in that I am, you know, I have this good relationship going with somebody and you want to put yourself out there and be like, hey, I feel this way about you, but you are afraid of what the fallout will be from that if that person does not share the same feeling. Because there's no going back from that. True. You can't undo that. Right. That will always be there if that person goes, not really what I'm seeing here. I don't feel that way about you. Mm-hmm. You may as well never see that person ever again. Right. Especially if you have a friendship yeah. with that person. Yeah. How about yourself? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, similar to what Jim said here, said those things. It was a pretty garbage individual. It was always a garbage relationship. It's actually my husband, Curtis. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That never happened. Uh, and unsurprisingly, and actually for the best, this individual did not want to date me. Um, and that worked out. 
I'm glad it worked out for you in the end, I guess. Yeah. Really a bummer to hear that they don't care about you. Sure. <laughs> On that note, let's head back to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So I have a really great fun fact, and I love that throughout this episode you've been alluding to the writers. This episode was written by Steve Carell. Oh. And he won an award for it. Oh, wow. A Writers Guild of America award. Uh, really good job. And he had the idea for Casino Night. Most of these were his ideas. This is a extra long episode. It's an extended episode, so it's 28 minutes. And normally episodes are 22 minutes. And there was a fan petition to NBC to get this episode extended because Steve Carell had said in an interview he thought it would be really good. He had all these ideas. It was a great script to have a longer episode. And there was this petition online. NBC said yes. And they also extended the episodes of the other shows that aired that same night, which I think was Will and Grace and My Name is Earl. Interesting. There is also an alternate version of The Kiss that was filmed but has never been seen. And I am curious if Angela Kinsey and Jenna Fisher will cover that on their podcast. I have to imagine they would. The alternate version is that the kiss is only picked up by the mic that they're wearing for the documentary crew. Okay. It's not actually filmed. And that the documentary crew comes running to try to film it when they hear this. And the writers and the the writers wanted this, but I believe it was the actors and the producers that are like, no, that's kind of weird. It would it doesn't translate very well. Right, and I think because this is something that we have talked about before, they they weirdly have not embraced the documentary side of yeah. this show until. The very last season. Yeah, you hear characters say, are the cameras in there? Yeah. Are, you know, things like that. But no one's too bothered by the crew. No. And so that would have been odd to have the kiss moment be the moment that you're hearing it. But we do have that happen. So Michael and Holly get caught on mic in season five. So I wonder if that's just a repackaging of, of that. Maybe. But the that version has never been seen. It's not in deleted scenes or anything like that. It's just probably lost to time. Yeah. So we do have a firing this episode. In the interaction between Michael and Daryl in Michael's office, Daryl says something along the lines of things getting stolen in his warehouse. He's afraid of that happening or yeah. something. Yeah. With Casino Night and everyone being in there. And Michael says, oh, that's a bit ironic. Yeah. And Daryl's like, what does that even mean? And Michael says, dink and flicka. And I think that just kind of assuages the situation. But Michael here is very much implying that it's ironic that things are getting stolen in the warehouse because that's where the black people work. Yeah, or... More that, like, why would Daryl be afraid? He, I don't know, just this weird underlying racism. Yes. Thing. So Michael gets fired for that. Yeah. What's his What's his number at? Uh, that's his 10th firing of this season. It's his 13th overall. So he didn't 
not quite 50% for the season, but pretty close. Right. Do you have a Dundee to give out? Yes. My Dundee is for the best quote of the season and one of my favorite quotes from the whole series. And it is an interaction between Toby and Michael about Casino Night. And I think it's best we just hear it straight from them. Oh, and another fun thing. We, at the end of the night, are going to give the check to an actual group of Boy Scouts. Right, Toby? We're going to... Actually, I think it was appropriate to invite children since it's, uh, you know, there's gambling and alcohol and it's in our dangerous warehouse and it's a school night and, you know, Hooters is catering. Is Is that enough? Should I keep going? Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. You say this to me all the time. At least once a month. Why are you the way that you are? All the time. I do. Do you have a Dundee? I have two to give out. Uh, The first is the worst wingman. That goes to Dwight. (laughs) Dwight does a terrible job at keeping, not only keeping Michael abreast to the situation as to when either Carol or Jan are showing up. He has told that he tells him these things literally as they are talking to each other, but also does a terrible job of keeping them separated, which he states is his job in the first place. He does not succeed. What's your second Dundee? My second Dundee is the worst with words. And that goes to Michael we talked about earlier how he called himself a great philanderer when he clearly means philanthropist. Also, when he is told that comic relief is no longer a thing, he says he wants to donate to Afghanis with AIDS, and everybody's like, that's not what that is. Not remotely close. Right. And then my favorite of the episode is a very, very subtle line. It's just thrown in there very quickly. When he is giving his introduction to everyone at Casino Night, he closes it and says, let's get it started, and then says, the Black Eyed Crows. That's not the band that is nope. that says that sings that. That's not a band at all. <laughs> he obviously means the Black Eyed Peas, but he mashes that up with the Black Crows. So, nice. not the greatest. Michael's just not a smart man. No, not astute. No. Who is your employee of the month? So we don't see a ton of work happening in this episode, but my employee of the month is Pam because she she knows Michael well, and she screens him from himself, essentially. Yeah. So rather than just automatically putting someone through when someone calls her Michael, she waits a beat, lets Michael get out his first and worst intro, and then patches him through, and usually he just says hello the second time. Who is your employee of the month? Unfortunately, my employee of the month is Jim because he finally did the thing that he has needed to do all season, all series, really. He finally did it. Yes. Still in kind of a weird way. Like I said earlier, he doesn't say why he is doing this. He just says that he loves Pam. 
So that's season two. That is season two. What a journey. Yes. We had several firings this season. We had a lot. No one is close to Michael, obviously, who, as we said earlier, got fired ten times this season. Dwight and Packer are both tied for second. They got fired three times each. Okay. Meredith gets fired twice, both for alcohol-related instances. And Pam, Angela, Stanley, Kelly, and Toby all got fired once. Uh, We lost four of those people in one fell swoop when they signed the uh, payroll documents or whatever it was illegally. Yes. Uh, They all, for the same incident. Yes. And Kelly, I believe we lost because she kissed Dwight at the Christmas party. Correct. So we, as we said, are at an impasse. What is happening with Jim and Pam? And in my opinion... Season three is the best season of the office. I would agree. You, we get some more characters yeah. added in. We do. We do. We meet some more characters. There are a couple of episodes, and you'll have this in a 22-episode season, that are not the best. But for the most part, especially towards the end, there is a solid four-episode run of just quality episodes. There are also some very notable instances of bad Michael that come through. Yeah, Curtis's least favorite episode takes place in season three. Oh, God, is it three? Yes. Okay. Uh, Oh, man. Yeah, so just... I wasn't even thinking of that. There are two other ones where I can think of right off the top of my head that I'm like, Michael is terrible. Some rough moments. And we get resolution to our cliffhanger in episode one of season three so stay tuned come back for that episode and join us as we hit a really high note of this series for sure please be sure to follow us on twitter at downsizing pod to get all the latest updates and continue to listen to us on spotify google play apple podcasts wherever you're listening to us Rate us, subscribe to us, comment, do whatever you got to do. Please get our name out there. We, we just like people listening to this. And that does it for season two. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys keep listening. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.